Mino Lion Media presents Pregnancy Pearls. Meet Dr. Nicole Plenty, a double board certified OBGYN and high risk pregnancy expert. She's brilliant, well researched, and feisty. Growing tired of seeing complications of pregnancy that could have been prevented, she wanted a way to empower women through knowledge because, as she says, all doctors aren't created equal. This quest to educate women birthed this podcast, Pregnancy Pearls, with Dr. Plenty. Thanks for listening to Pregnancy Pearls Podcast with me, Dr. Nicole Plenty. We've officially hit the halfway mark in March. I feel like this year is just flying by. Now, if you had plans for this year, like freezing your eggs, scheduling your preconception consult, making an REI appointment to get IVF, losing that postpartum weight, stop procrastinating. This year, it will be gone before you know it. And you'll still have those things on your to-do list. So go ahead, be aggressive with your plans and get on them, okay? Don't say nobody warned you or reminded you to do those things. This is your reminder. Go ahead. We're already a fourth of the year done, okay? Time to get on it. So, all right, enough of my Coach Carter moments. Uh, The pep talks are enough. Today, we're gonna talk about smoking weed in pregnancy, and how it can affect your unborn child. I feel like a bunch of y'all are out here getting high, so I want to make sure you know how it can affect your pregnancy. Weed or marijuana is derived from the plant, cannabis sativa. Marijuana is a part of that plant and contains 60 pharmacologically active cannabinoids, with the most significant being tetrahydrocannabinol, or THC, and cannabidiol or CBD. So THC and CBD is what makes marijuana mostly, but you got all these other chemicals in there as well. Okay. Now other types of cannabinoids that you might've heard about are dronabinol and nabitalone. These are used to treat nausea and vomiting caused by cancer chemotherapy. And dronabinol is used to treat decreased appetite and weight loss in patients with HIV and AIDS. Now, these are essentially synthetic THC, okay, but not the same derivatives. Now, there's also a purified form of CBD derived from cannabis called Epidiolox, which is approved to treat seizures associated with Dravet syndrome and Lennox Gustav syndrome. Well, what are those, right? They're two extremely rare forms of epilepsy. So whenever I hear people say, oh, I smoke weed because of my seizures. If you don't have those two syndromes, then you shouldn't be smoking weed because of seizures. Now, when you smoke marijuana or eat it, it's stored in fat tissue, in your muscles, in your liver and the spleen. And then it's distributed into the bloodstream long after you eat it or ingest it. But there's rapid stimulation of those receptors in the brain when it's delivered through the lungs, meaning when you smoke and inhale it, there's rapid onset of symptoms. And those symptoms are relaxation of the muscles, a state of euphoria. So it makes you feel a little bit happier or relieved. It disturbs your memory function. So whatever you were worried about before you puffed, you're not worried about it anymore. And it leads to a more relaxed mood. Now, because it's brain altering, It can lead to impaired judgment and a slower reaction time. So that's why when we see people that use marijuana, they're way more 
car accidents and accidents in general, okay, work-related accidents, because your reaction time is slower. You can't slam on the brakes as quickly. You don't see the little child running into the road as quickly. So that means that you have more accidents. Although most people don't think you can become addicted to marijuana, it does cause withdrawal symptoms, including anxiety, depression, a decreased appetite. Most people have headaches or insomnia. They can have muscle cramps or vivid dreams and nightmares and be really, really mad, angry, or irritable. So this could prompt those that have these symptoms to use again to, to avoid symptoms of withdrawal. So that means that it is habit forming. If you're using something to avoid symptoms, that means that you're addicted. And that means that you can withdraw if you stop it. That is the definition of habit forming. So marijuana is in fact habit forming. Now, a lot of women are now using marijuana as a natural way to treat morning sickness. Don't do that. Marijuana is potent with over 500 chemicals that we don't know what they do. Okay, so please don't do that. Now, there really isn't a ton of research solely on the effects of marijuana in human pregnancies, but some animal studies show that THC, specifically THC, crosses the placenta so it can impact the baby. Now, the biggest linked issues with the baby are disruption of brain development, which is major, y'all, leading to cognitive delay, fetal growth restriction, meaning your baby becomes smaller. Babies that are smaller have an increased risk of stillbirth, a higher chance of prematurity, meaning going into preterm labor, and childhood behavioral issues. Why does the baby have childhood behavioral issues? Because it alters brain development. Because that marijuana TAC crosses the placenta and stimulates the baby as well. So why are human studies lacking if so many people use marijuana? Well, that's because it's a gateway drug. So a lot of people who use marijuana also use tobacco, which is well known to cause growth restriction in the baby, meaning a smaller baby, increased risk of what's called a placental abruption or the placenta shearing away from the inside wall of the uterus, which leads to heavy bleeding and stillbirth. We already know that smoking does that. And people who use marijuana also use other drugs more readily, such as opioids and cocaine and crack. And some of y'all are using marijuana that's laced with products and don't even know they're laced with products until we do the drug screen which comes back positive for marijuana and opioids and methamphetamines. That's why, because most of the time when people use marijuana, they're also using something else. And that could be as little as a cigarette or as much as, you know, meth or cocaine. Okay. Those are confounders in the study, meaning we don't know if it's just the marijuana or if it's the effect of all the other drugs, but animal studies tell us a lot. Now, if you're thinking, Hey, I can take it easy during the pregnancy. I can wait, but I'm going to wait. As soon as this baby's out, I'm ready to puff. Now, if you're breath, breastfeeding, marijuana can also cross into the breast milk, people. So even if you're not going to breastfeed, you don't want to expose your baby to secondhand smoke, which could lead to altered mental status for your newborn, okay? So ladies, make sure that everyone in your household stays away from marijuana, because it's not just you that can give your baby 
secondhand marijuana exposure. It's anybody the baby comes in contact that's high that can give your baby secondhand marijuana exposure. So now that you know a little bit more about marijuana and how it can affect your pregnancy, let's go to some cases. Our first case is a 22-year-old who is 28 weeks pregnant with her first child. She has frequent severe nausea and vomiting and abdominal pain. She has been treated for hyperemesis several times this pregnancy and has also self-medicated with marijuana. Initially, the marijuana was helping, but now it isn't, and her symptoms are getting worse. She was evaluated for gallstones and pancreatitis, and her labs were normal. She presents for further evaluation. First off, this is a little late, 28 weeks for hyperemesis. So hyperemesis is severe nausea vomiting of pregnancy where the patient has lost at least 5% of their pre-pregnancy weight and may also have electrolyte imbalances. Okay, so talking about severe dehydration. These are people that we usually put in the hospital, rehydrate them with IV fluid boluses and replace any electrolyte imbalances. We then add IV medications to help stop nausea and vomiting, such as IV Finergan, IV Zofran, uh, sometimes Reglan. So we add these medications to try to get the patient's nausea and vomiting under control. Okay, we want to suppress that urge to vomit. Usually once we add a, a couple of agents, if that doesn't work, then we add steroids as well to try to help with nausea and vomiting. If that doesn't work, then we're looking at other things, right? Hey, let's make sure nothing's wrong with her liver. Let's look at her gallbladder. Let's make sure there's nothing like an ulcer in the stomach. We ask questions about nausea, vomiting, and blood coming up. Sometimes people have to get a scope or an endoscopy if they do to make sure there's not a tear or blood that's irritating the stomach and causing uh, more nausea and vomiting because blood is an irritant and you will continue to have nausea and vomiting. Sort of like, you know, which came first, the blood or the nausea and vomiting. So some people have hyperemesis, they vomit, 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 they get a tear and that causes more irritation and more vomiting, okay? So they're vomiting first because of the pregnancy. They then irritate the lining of their stomach and now they can't keep anything down um, even further into the pregnancy. That happens, um, that does happen. So I would wanna make sure that's not going on with this patient. Is it that we have something else going on like a GI tear that's causing us to have more and more nausea and vomiting? Now it does say that they did evaluate for pancreatitis. They did evaluate for gallstones, which means that they did some, Im some imaging, okay? And usually if there's blood around the stomach or blood around organs, we can see that. They did not say anything about vomiting up blood, okay? So I'm less concerned about the bleed or a bleed causing irritation of the lining of the stomach than I am about just her nutritional status in general. So we want to get the nausea and vomiting under control. Then we want to replete the electrolytes. And then we want to slowly, once she's not vomiting, introduce liquids. And then after liquids, bland solids. Okay, that's usually how we treat hyperemesis. But the thing that sticks out here is that she was self-medicating with marijuana. Okay, now a lot of people tell me, Dr. Plenty, it's natural. It's from the earth, right? It's from the earth. I don't like taking medicine. I want to use natural products because it's from the earth. So then they start smoking marijuana, right? 
Now, and I ask, are you growing your marijuana in your backyard? Well, no. Are you buying it off a shelf? No. Who are you getting it from? The weed man. You don't know what the weed man grows his weed with, right? First of all, weed itself or cannabis has a lot of chemicals. So you're trying to avoid medication because of its chemicals, but you're not realizing how many chemicals weed has in it. Okay, over 500. And then if you're getting it from the weed man, who's probably trying to entice you to come back and buy more weed, it could be laced with something. So I want to make sure we do a thorough drug screen to make sure that we don't have to treat any other type of drug exposure that could lead to symptoms of withdrawal that do include nausea and vomiting. Okay. But if she's constantly using marijuana and it was working at first, but now she's smoking is not working. To me, this screams cannabis hyperemesis syndrome. Some people may call it cyclical vomiting syndrome due to cannabis. And what that means is instead of it having a relaxing effect on your intestines, it's now you've exhausted all your receptors. It's now having the contrary reaction. So now you're starting to have more nausea vomiting just because you are a chronic marijuana user. And so for these people, we have to treat them just like they have hyperemesis, right? Get them through this cyclical um, stage of nausea and vomiting with marijuana and have them not do any more marijuana so that they cannot have all of this vomiting. And so usually after a period of time, we'll see that the patient no longer has nausea and vomiting, even if we don't change any of the medicines that we treated the patient on. And then we would draw the medicine slowly and they continue to still not have nausea and vomiting. That's how we know that it's because of the marijuana. We're having a, a contrary effect. Okay, so she's done, now overdone it. And these are people that have used marijuana for years. I mean, before pregnancy, these are people that were in high school, they puffed on the weekends. Every weekend, they go to work now. They smoke weed afterwards. These are people that get this syndrome. So the case pearl for this case is cannabis hyperemesis syndrome is a condition that causes severe bouts of nausea and vomiting with people that chronically use marijuana at least once a week. All right, medical intern, what's our second case? This is a question and it says, Dr. Plenty, I have anxiety and have used CBD oil to help me relax and sleep. My husband and I are planning to start trying to have a baby this year. Is CBD oil safe for me to continue once I'm pregnant? The short answer is no. Okay. Um, But realistically, we really don't know what it does, right? You're not ingesting it systemically. It's topical. Uh, Are there any studies that show CBD specifically causes harm? No, it's really the THC component of it that we have the most animal data. We don't have a lot of studies that are isolated to just CBD, uh, the CBD portion of, uh, of marijuana. And usually CBD is not as potent as marijuana is. So it, it likely honestly won't do any harm, but the American College of Pediatrics warns against it, right? Because we just don't know enough to say that it is safe. So anytime I don't know enough information to say if it's harmful or not, I'm going to tell you to err on the side of caution and not do the CBD oil, okay? 
because I would hate to 10 years down the line find out that CBD oil is absorbed systemically in, in a higher concentration than we think it is and that it can cause behavioral issues in your kid and your kid has behavioral issues, right? I would hate for that to happen. So all I can say is, no, I would, I would warn against using CBD oil because we know that it can have a little bit of altered mental state. That's why you're going to sleep with it. But we don't know the extent of it crossing the placenta in an oil fashion, in an oil format. We, we really don't. Could it be, you know, harmless? Yeah, it could be. But I err on the side of caution and I follow the books and the guidelines. And so since the guidelines say, since we're not clear, we recommend against it, I recommend against it. I do encourage anybody with anxiety to seek counseling. I think that anybody, uh, I think everybody needs a counselor. Like even if you don't think you have depression or anxiety or or a a mental disorder, I think everybody needs a counselor. I think that uh, COVID and coping with COVID and losses of people and the anxiety of staying inside and not knowing who has what has shown us that everybody needs counseling. So I think everybody at baseline needs counseling. But if you know you have anxiety, do seek counseling, okay? CBD oil may not be enough for you, especially as you're going through trying to conceive. That can be very stressful, especially if you're somebody like, I want to get pregnant this year. And you're like constantly like doing ovulation monitoring and telling your husband you need to have sex. Like that can be stressful in itself. Like we think, oh, having a baby can be fun. But realistically, timed intercourse is not as sexy as people think. Okay, that's a stressful environment. So I would encourage you to seek counseling. Now, there are some medicines that are safe for anxiety in pregnancy if you need it, right? There's medicines that have been well-studied in pregnancy that we know don't cross the placenta. So I would say take one of those medicines as opposed to using CBD oil, which we really don't know a lot about at all. Like you you don't want to take something that you don't know how it affects your baby. And I don't know enough information to tell you that it's okay. So I say stay away from it. All right, medical intern, what's our last case or question? This one says, my husband smokes weed religiously. We've been trying to conceive now for over a year. Could his marijuana use have any impact on his sperm count or quality? Absolutely. I think that men think that for some reason, fertility is all on the woman, right? I'm doing what I need to do. We're having sex and, you know, we're not pulling out. So that's all I need to do. And maybe it's something wrong with you. But half of infertility cases are male factor. And whenever a reproductive endocrinologist sees that somebody has been trying for a prolonged period of time, they look at the female factors and they look at the male factors. The female factors. Hey, are you having monthly cycles? If you're having monthly cycles, with a frequency of at least every 32 days, then you're likely having regular ovulation. Is there something going on with your uterus? Do you have a normal uterine cavity with two fallopian tubes and two ovaries? Or do you have like a septum in the uterus? Do you have two uterine horns? Do you have two cervices? You know, they looked at the anatomy of the uterus. Then do you have an obstruction of some sort? Do you have fibroids? that is blocking implantation somewhere in your uterus? Do you have an issue with your cervix? Do you have um, a polyp that could be inside of your uterus that's also when the egg is fertilized, not allowing it to implant properly, okay? 
Is there something going on with your hormones? But that's usually reflected in the fact that you would have abnormal cycles. Then look at all your medical problems, right? Some people may have PCOS, meaning you have a whole bunch of tiny, tiny, tiny little follicles, and they're all trying to compete to get down the funnel into your fallopian tube to be be fertilized. But since you got a whole bunch trying to get down there, they're blocking the funnel, okay? So you have a whole bunch of eggs. Your problem is not eggs. It's making sure that we reduce the number of eggs that are matured for it to float and move down into the fallopian tube where fertilization happens. Fertilization happens within the fallopian tube, okay? Do you have some other uncontrolled medical problems that's putting you at risk for having early miscarriages? Do you have early uh, diabetes that's uncontrolled? Do you have vascular problems, meaning you have high blood pressure? Do you have chronic renal disease? Do you have an autoimmune condition that has antibodies that's attacking red blood cells so that you can't stay pregnant? So we look at all of those things, okay? You have a genetic issue. We look at all those things in the woman, almost first, right? And then after we rule out all that, then we say, okay, well, now let's look at the man, right? Let's get a sperm sample from the man. Let's look at the man's health condition that allows his sperm count to decrease. So if he doesn't have any health condition, if he's not morbidly obese, if he's not having anything that allows his sperm count to decrease, then we start saying, okay, well, let's look at the environment. Do you work on an oil rig that you could be exposed to some things that that may affect the mobility or the quality of your sperm? Do you smoke cigarettes? That affects the motility of the sperm. Do you smoke weed? That affects the motility of sperm. So Marijuana affects the sperm count. We know it decreases the sperm count significantly. It also decreases the sperm quality, meaning instead of swimming in a straight line, those suckers are swimming in circles. Well, you can't go anywhere if you're swimming in circles or zigzag lines, right? So we know that marijuana and really any type of chronic smoke, but marijuana specifically does impact the sperm count and the sperm quality. Now, the good thing about men and marijuana is that they can stop. We don't know how long it takes to stop. Some as little as a week, some, you know, a couple months, but they can stop and reverse the poor quality of their sperm. Okay. So anytime we have somebody that smokes weed, we said, just stop smoking weed. We'll do another sperm count and reevaluate in a couple months and keep going. Cause we don't really know how long you have to stop smoking weed for it to reverse the effects of marijuana on the sperm. Okay. And it's unfair, but we we're born with all all the eggs we're going to have. Men, they are manufacturing sperm every day, right? They're constantly producing sperm, new sperm. And every time they have an ejaculation, they're releasing millions of sperm, right? They're releasing a whole bunch of sperm and they're constantly making it. So that is one good thing. You can start anew, okay? Just stop smoking the marijuana for God's sake. And that's the other thing. The amount of ejaculate in men that smoke marijuana is decreased. Okay. So just a sheer amount, you got a little wisp that comes out. Okay. So stop smoking weed. And then we'll, we'll likely see that you'll have in, improved results and you probably get pregnant without any help from an REI doctor. So I think that's all the cases that we have today. And my medical intern is shaking her head. Yes. Thanks so much for listening to Pregnancy Pearls Podcast. I hope that you've learned a little bit more about marijuana and how it can impact your pregnancy and your fertility. If you enjoyed the show, make sure to share with your friends, rate and comment. 
If you or someone you know has had a pregnancy complication or a unique pregnancy situation, let me know about it. Email me at pregnancypros at gmail.com to hear your topic or case discussed on one of our podcast episodes. Also, remember to follow me on Instagram at pregnancy underscore pearls and Facebook at pregnancy, pregnancy pearls. Feel free to check out the YouTube channel for more quick talks about pregnancy complications. Check out the website, drnicoleplenty.com for free pregnancy downloadables. And for God's sake, catch up on all the other episodes of the podcast if you haven't already. In closing, remember to advocate for yourself. You are your biggest advocate and no one knows what's going on with your body except for you. Thanks for listening. Bye. Pregnancy Pearls is hosted by Dr. Nicole Lee Plenty. Produced by Nicole Plenty and Janine Brunson Johnson. Executive producer, Ken Johnson. Find Pregnancy Pearls on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe and rate. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice for diagnosis or treatment of individual medical conditions. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with specific questions regarding a medical condition. Pregnancy Pearls is a Mean Old Lion Media production.